scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly oops, yep, in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experienced when you patiently endured the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Uh, thank you so much for having me with you today. Uh, we're always struggling in these circumstances in our family because uh, my wife wants to come with me and my children want to go to church with their friends. So today the children won, but uh, my wife would love to have been here, even if my kids wouldn't. So hello from them. That's nothing against you, in case that's not obvious. Well, the Christian life is a life of comfort in trouble. So what do you think of when you hear the word comfort? Perhaps comfort food. It's great to get home from a long day and sink into a comfy chair with a big bowl of whatever's been in the slow cooker all day and just feel content. Or sometimes we might get home at the end of a long day and sink into a comfortable chair with a large tub of ice cream and try not to feel anything. That's not really comfort food, that's comfort eating. When I hear the word comfort, uh, what I think of is going to a funeral to support a friend who has lost someone. 
Uh, I might not know the person who's died, but I'm going to comfort my friend. And, and really, really all I'm doing is being there. It feels like there's nothing else I can really do, but I hope that having friends around them will be some small comfort in the midst of their grief. Well, today we're studying a Bible passage about comfort in trouble, but I don't think any of those are very good illustrations of what the Bible means by comfort. Imagine instead a young man who went off to fight in a world war. He's waiting in the trench for the order to climb out and charge against the enemy gunfire. He almost absent-mindedly reaches into his pocket and pulls out a photograph of his family. Whatever happens, it gives him confidence to do what he needs to do for the sake of his family. Comfort in trouble, in affliction, in suffering. I hope you'll forgive me that somewhat melodramatic example, but the Bible passage we're looking at today is pretty intense. It's positive and encouraging, but it's still pretty intense. We're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. We're basically going to walk through those two paragraphs, verses 3 to 7, and then verses 8 to 11, but we'll keep coming back to verse 5, because that's really the linchpin about Jesus. So this passage characterizes the Christian life as a life of comfort in trouble, a life of comfort in affliction. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, if you've got uh, it there with you. If you want to just listen, that's fine as well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So introducing his letter, Paul says the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is not only the Father of mercies, he is the God of all comfort. All true comfort comes from God. God mercifully gives comfort. He's the God of comfort. It's on his business card. Paul praises God for being the God of comfort because of his personal experience of that. He tells us that in verse 4. God who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul and his co-workers experience God's comfort in their own troubles and that enables them to share that comfort with anyone else who is experiencing trouble. Who might that be? Well, potentially the whole world. You don't have to go very far to find some trouble. And we know that's the case of what Paul's talking about because Jesus came to suffer in order to bring comfort to anyone, anyone in the world who will trust in Jesus. Look at verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ 
we share abundantly in comfort too. So, God the Father is the God of comfort in trouble. God the Son, Jesus Christ, is the Lord of comfort through suffering. And this has been the experience not only of the apostles and prophets, but also of the church in Corinth. Verses 6 and 7 put it like this. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So as a Christian leader, Paul experiences comfort in trouble in order to lead people in turning to follow Jesus and being comforted in trouble. He doesn't need to make sure people suffer. He doesn't need to make sure people are having trouble. There's, there's plenty of that in the world just, just living in this world. But he wants to make sure that as we follow Jesus, that we are comforted and persevere, keep going in hope. So God is the God of comfort in trouble. Jesus is the Lord of comfort through suffering. Christian leadership is leading people to be comforted in their suffering and trouble. In other words, the Christian life is a life of comfort in trouble. We see this throughout the New Testament in the Bible. Let me quickly give you four other examples. Uh, Paul puts it even more strongly in his letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 16 to 17. If you're a fast Bible flipper, by all means try and keep up, but I've just got these printed out so I can just go through them quickly, all right? Romans 8, 16 to 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Christian life, having the Holy Spirit's about suffering with him so we can be glorified with him. Or the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 to 21, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Right? Following Jesus is about following his example of doing good even when it brings you trouble. That's what being a Christian is about. Or uh, James says in uh, James chapter 5, verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Then in verse 10, As an example of suffering and patience, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. This isn't a new plan in Jesus. It's the way God's always worked through his people. You've got to persevere in suffering in this world. And finally, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 25, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For... Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The Christian life is a life of comfort in trouble. 
So we can get this wrong either by minimizing the trouble or minimizing the comfort. So first, we could minimize the trouble, right? It's tempting to think, God gives me comfort in trouble by making sure the trouble is not too bad or doesn't last too long. God gives me comfort in the daily grind of my boring job. And I'm fine with that as long as I have a job. Or God gives me comfort in the stress of dealing with all the demands people place on me. And I'm fine with that as long as I have my health. Or God gives me comfort in the uncertainty of facing surgery. And I'm fine with that as long as the surgery happens and is successful. Right? It's completely legitimate to seek God's comfort in all those situations, but it's not legitimate for us to tell God what limits we're placing on the trouble he lets us face. That's not our decision. That's not the kind of example Paul has in mind. Look at verse 8. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He says, We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Right? He's not describing inconvenience. He's describing affliction. It's not just mild trouble. His life was in danger. He felt despair. Look at verses 10 and 11. God delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So although Paul had escaped the immediate threat, this is not a one-off. This is the ongoing experience of his life following Jesus. The Christian life is a life of comfort in trouble. We mustn't minimize the potential trouble. That's up to God. However, we also mustn't minimize the comfort. Come back to verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Christ's suffering was massive, including being tortured to death. But he rose to life again and promises eternal life to all who trust him. That's a massive comfort. The resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee that we who trust in him will also be raised and the sufferings of this world, even death, let alone my other problems, will come to an end. So later in this letter, in chapter 4, verse 14, it says... We also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. If we're believing that, then it's an incredible comfort. If you're not believing that, please let us show you 
more of the evidence in the Bible, in our lives, whatever we can, so you can experience that great comfort of knowing that God has given you life forever, that no trouble can stop. So that means when you feel like you're just tumbling into darkness, Jesus does not promise to just snap his fingers and turn on the lights. Neither does he just wave and say, good luck with that. No, Jesus holds your hand and goes through it with you. It's comfort in trouble. So this raises a question, I think. If God is able to raise the dead, then why wait? Right? If God's able to rescue us from every trouble, any suffering, any affliction, why wait? Why let it keep happening? If God's the God of salvation and the God of mercies, why is he also the God of comfort in trouble? Why is the Christian life characterized by comfort in ongoing trouble? Well, there's more than one answer to that question, but the focus of this passage is in verse 9, where Paul tells us how God is using comfort in trouble in his life. Verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. One of the reasons the Christian life is a life of comfort in trouble is so that we learn to rely not on ourselves, but on God. That's the way it worked in Paul's experience. He felt he was going to die. This was to make him rely on God who raises the dead. In other words, it was not relying on God to necessarily prevent him being killed, to prevent him suffering. It was to rely on God that even if he was killed, God would raise him from the dead. Uh, Being dead would be something Paul couldn't fix himself, right? So he couldn't rely on himself faced with that challenge. This awful experience made Paul exercise his faith in Jesus. And God proved reliable, and so Paul grew in trusting God. So, just to state the obvious, for this to work, the trouble had to be big enough to make sure Paul knew he couldn't handle it. For Paul to learn that he had to rely on God, The trouble had to be big enough that Paul knew he couldn't rely on himself. I don't know if you've ever been rock climbing, uh, but I like rock climbing. And uh, when I go rock climbing, I draw enormous comfort from the rope that is attached to me to keep me safe. Without the rope, I wouldn't be going rock climbing. Uh, The first time I went rock climbing, uh, well, the rock the rope stopped me from dying, it didn't stop me from being scared. Uh, Even though I knew in theory the rope would catch me when I fell, 
uh, I still tried desperately not to fall. And I still freaked out when I did. Well, when I say I fell, I just sat down because the rope caught me. Uh, it kept me safe. It wasn't a lot of comfort. I still felt so nervous about being up so high. I still got distracted from my enjoying myself because I was too busy trying not to look down. Uh, now I go rock climbing most weeks. I've fallen hundreds of times, perhaps thousands by now. Does all of that falling mean that I'm much more scared of heights? Does all that falling mean that I'm much more afraid of falling? Well, no. Quite the opposite, actually, because the rope keeps catching me. Again, and again, and again. So now if I feel nervous about falling, I say to myself, right, let's practice falling just to get it through my thick skull that I can rely on the rope. So I generally don't worry about falling because I've learnt that the rope will catch me. I can rely on it. The rope was keeping me safe the whole time. But the more experience of that that I've had, the more it's become a comfort. Uh, the more that I can just get on with rock climbing without worrying about falling because I know I can rely on the rope. I'm not any more safe, but I feel much more confident. That's how God's comfort for us in trouble works. If you're trusting in Jesus, you are safe. But you may not always feel safe. But as you experience trouble and God brings you through it, you will learn more and more that God has got you that Jesus has done everything that's needed. And so you can be more confident to keep going with Jesus, more boldly, more fearless. Courtney Reisig hates being alone. Uh, she grew up with three siblings, and then she always had roommates. More often than not, she says, spending too many evenings by herself gives her imagination space to mess with her. Who needs that stress? <laughs> so it's perfectly reasonable that one of her criteria for a husband was that his work couldn't involve much travel. When she met her now husband, she thought she was in the clear. His career was unlikely to involve travel. He had no desire to change that. They got married and two years later moved to pursue, pursue a dream project together. Part of that included her husband initially looking for additional part-time work. And the extra job that came together was perfect for their needs and his skills. It just involved a lot of travel. Courtney writes, it's not that God gives us what we can handle. It's that he gives us what we can't handle so we lean on him, not on ourselves. In the weak moments, I cry out to him with the most fervor. Unfortunately, I tend to look to myself when life is easy. 
But in the moments where I feel like I can't go on, I look away from myself and to him alone. Well, have you ever said to God something like, I just can't handle this one thing. Please, just fix this one thing. That's all I ask, God. If you have ever prayed like that, have you ever stopped to wonder if that's the only thing you think you need God for? How could God ever take that away from you? That's why the Christian life is characterized by comfort in trouble, so that we learn to rely on God, not on ourselves. Well, you might reasonably ask, is it worth it? Is learning to rely on God worth that trouble? Is it worth suffering? Sickness, injury, pain, betrayal, mistreatment. Is learning to rely on God worth being crushed when God could just take it away? Well, yes, it is. Because people relying on self, not God, is what's wrong with the world. Uh, The Bible shows us this throughout its whole story. Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Instead of relying on God to say what's right and wrong, they relied on themselves to decide right and wrong. So they were kicked out of the garden, excluded from eternal life, and brought God's curse on the world. The Tower of Babel was built by people reaching up to heaven to make a name for themselves. Instead of relying on God to give his blessing from heaven, they wanted to climb up and get blessing for themselves. Instead of relying on God to give them honour, to make their names great, they wanted to do it themselves. So people were divided by language, which resulted in tension and competition and strife between people. How big a problem is it if I believe I don't need oxygen. How big a problem? That's going to be a big problem. How big a problem is it if I believe I don't need food and water? I suppose as long as I consume food and water just as a hobby, it might not kill me. How big a problem is it if I believe that I don't need my parents? who have faithfully cared for me and raised me since birth and still support me in a myriad of ways. That would not only be a problem, that would be, that would be offensive, that would be unfair to my parents. The problem is not that God needs a role in the world so he feels part of things. That's not the problem. The problem is that we are dependent on God for every breath we take. For our very existence, for the whole idea of what a human being is. For everything. God takes care of you more intimately than anyone else. 
probably more than we can imagine. To delude ourselves about that is not only a practical problem, it's offensive, it's unfair to God. But look again at verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Christ shared in our suffering brought on the world by sin so that we can share his suffering learning to rely on God. In the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus was arrested, Jesus begged, Father, take this cup from me. But he also prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus learnt obedience through his suffering. I mean, he always perfectly relied on God, but he grew to the full and complete humanity of relying on God, even facing the shame and death that we deserve for pretending we don't need God. And of course, what's more, Jesus rose from death to rescue us from our offensive, deluded self-reliance. So that means Not only that he rescues us from the punishment of death, it means he also rescues us from relying on ourselves, which was the problem in the first place. One week after graduating from high school, Diana Kerr woke up to find she could barely move. After some random joint pain here and there, she was literally crippled overnight by rheumatoid arthritis. A few days after her diagnosis, she was waiting in a patient room at a children's hospital. It was the day before her 18th birthday. She was in severe physical pain, but the emotional pain was just as great when she realized she would live the rest of her life trapped in her body. At the time, she says she believed, God won't give you more than you can handle but she knew she could not handle the life she saw stretching out before her. After years of living with rheumatoid arthritis, Diana writes, arthritis has taught me how weak and needy I am, and I'm totally down with that truth. Everyone could benefit from something that makes them fall on their knees and desperately depend on God for strength. The realization that I'm not strong enough on my own and that I absolutely need to depend on God has been just about the most precious gift he has given me. Christ shared in our suffering brought on the world by our sin so that we can share in his suffering learning to rely on God. Well, there are probably two main reactions to this Bible passage. Some of us uh, might read this and listen to what I've explained and think, I'm not really experiencing anything that bad. My life's pretty good. I guess this might be useful training for me supporting other people. Well, that's cool. But let me make another suggestion as well. God knows that you need to grow in relying on him. 
God knows that the way to make that happen is to make sure you are out of your comfort zone. So, you can wait for God to make that happen. Or, you can give him some suggestions. Right? You can, you can be like Jonah, running away from challenges so that God has to send the storms of life to get your attention. Or you can just embrace the challenges God puts before you of serving Jesus boldly. What might that look like? Well, ask yourself the question, what would I like to do in serving Jesus that I know I am not capable of doing? What would I like to do in serving Jesus that I know I cannot do unless God does it? They'd be great suggestions for things to do. Maybe there's a person you can see who desperately needs a friend, but you don't think you could build a relationship with that person. Maybe there's a person you know who needs to know about Jesus, but you don't think you could explain the message of Jesus to them. Maybe there's something that you can see needs doing in the community, but you don't think you could handle taking responsibility for something like that. Maybe you think uh, starting new small group Bible studies is a great idea, but you don't think you could handle leaving yours to help start a new one. Right? Think of something that you'd love to do for, for serving Jesus, but you don't think you could do. And suggest it to God. Here's a way I can serve you and you can teach me to depend on you. What do you reckon? Doing those things will push you to rely on God, which is just reality. <laughs> when we're doing things for God, thinking we don't need his help, well, then we're just deluded. So that's if you're feeling like you're not really facing trouble. Of course, I'm sure there are people uh, in this uh, church today who are suffering under substantial pain, uh, physically or emotionally, facing enormous challenges that you wish you could escape from. You might even be thinking, look, Matt, I'm just too overwhelmed by my suffering to even think about the possibility that God has a plan in it. You might be thinking, look, I have way more than my fair share of trouble. It's fine in theory to think that suffering will make people rely on God, but, but all I can feel is pain. Where's my comfort? You might get that for humanity as a whole, our self-reliance needs the discipline of trouble in the world, but for me as an individual, does it really work? I don't feel comforted. Well, they're completely fair questions. Let me encourage you, don't stop asking God those questions. Don't stop asking God those questions. Because even in that, we must rely on God and keep asking. And trust that he knows the answers, even if it turns out to be best for us 
not to know the answers. Sometimes we find out the answers, sometimes we don't, like Job. Uh, if you'd like to hear from someone who has suffered way more than me personally, you might consider reading the book, Kiss the Wave, Embracing God in Your Trials by Dave Furman. Have you guys seen this book around? Well, Kiss the Wave, Embracing God in Your Trials by Dave Furman. Dave, uh, unlike me, has a chronic incurable nerve condition. He's tried dozens of treatments to no avail. Uh, he's in constant burning pain. Bumping an elbow causes nauseating pain that makes him have to stop everything and sit down and get himself together for a while. He's always aware of his pain. It never leaves him. It's a constant presence. There are many basic tasks he can't do for himself, right? He can't dress himself. He can't drive a car. He can't open a door. He can't lift up his kids, let alone play basketball with them. Instead of being the support to his wife that he had expected to be, he is very practically dependent on her. Every night he battles insomnia and sometimes it feels like the darkness will never lift. So what did he do? He became an overseas missionary to plant a church in a country where it's technically illegal to evangelize. In his book, he writes, as you struggle through your pain, be comforted that God is not wasting this trial, but doing a good work in you through this hard time. We can have joy in our trials because God is working in our hearts. Our trials are an endless buffet table filled with opportunities for us to grow and look like Christ. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for sending Jesus to save us. Thank you that if we are trusting in him, we know we have eternal life with him. Thank you that in his resurrection, we see the defeat of death and pain and suffering. Help us to, help us to get the importance of learning to rely on you. Help us, to, help us to hear the grinding of our souls trying to be independent from you. Help us to feel the offensiveness of, of us thinking we don't need you. Help us to trust you for comfort in the troubles you lead us through. Amen.